She's a rich girl, she don't try to hide it Diamonds on the soles of her shoes He's a poor boy, empty as a pocket Empty as a pocket with nothing to lose Sing ta-na-na, ta-na-na She got diamonds on the soles of her shoes Ta-na-na, ta-na-na She got diamonds on the soles of her shoes 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 You're listening to WMNF Tampa
say I'm crazy, I got diamonds on the soles of my shoes, yeah. Well, that's one way to lose these walking blues. Diamonds on the soles of my shoes. Thank you so much for tuning in to WMNF 88.5 FM today. It is awesome that you are out there. My name is Joellen Schilke. I am the hostess who loves you absolutely the most. I'm so happy that you're listening. This show is called Art in Your Ear. In just a few minutes, we're going to be talking to some of the people from Jobsite Theater. They have this amazing show up. It's called The Resistible rise of Alberto, and I'm not quite sure to say it, Yui, you, you, Yui, they'll tell me, they'll let me know. Um, and it is, it is a farce, it is a um, entertainment, and it is a warning, I think. It's perfect for WMNF. It is a perfect WMNF show. We'll let you know also uh, that if you want to get in touch, you can text us at 813-433-0885. Eight eight five. You can send us a tech uh, email at dj at wmnf.org, which I hope that you do. And you can probably do a whole bunch of other things, but let's just stick with those two. Uh, we're going to be back with the folks from Job Site in just a few minutes. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I should tell you. Nope, I don't think so. I think that is all good. So you hang in there. And uh, if you do text us or email, why don't you put your name in it so we can say hello on the air if that's okay. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon.
whiskey bar. Oh, don't ask why. Oh, don't ask why. For we must find the next whiskey bar. For if we don't find the next whiskey bar, I tell you we must die. I tell you we must die. I tell you, I tell you, I tell you. How's that for a cheerful beginning to a show? <laughs> I love that. As soon as uh, we, you know, you started me down the path of the Bertolt Brecht stuff. Of course, I had to think of uh, Alabama song. So, welcome, uh, welcome, listeners. Welcome, Jobside Theater in the studio with us. We have uh, Katrina Stevenson. Hello. Hello, David Jenkins. Hello. Hello, and on the phone we have the fabulous Colleen Cherry. Hello. Hello. Um, and now, I uh, i don't know if you heard, but how do you pronounce the name of the person in... Arturo Ui. 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 There's no fooey. <laughs> no fooey. So that actually uh, is a really fun thing to say. So you guys are doing the resistible rise of Al- Alberto... Arturo Arturo Ui. Ui. Uh, and... So when you were planning the season, because you've been here for a couple other shows for this season, when you were planning the season, how come this show landed on on this spot? I know there's no cough buttons on the slide. Sorry, I looked for it. (laughs) Um, Actually, we planned this show in 2018. We were supposed to have done it in 2020 in the beginning. However, we all know what happened. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. So... uh, you can probably guess what we were thinking about 2018 <laughs> and 2019. I can, but the listeners may not be familiar with it. So it's kind of the rise of someone to power who maybe is not the best person to be in power? Correct. <laughs> Correct. Maybe not the most intelligent and with their own personal motives who has an authoritarianism bent to... And- uh, Politics and possibly doesn't like certain groups of people. Oh, definitely, yes. <laughs> like bicyclists. Yeah, bicyclists. Oh, oh. Well, <laughs> well, maybe then I should follow this person because sometimes, even though I'm a bicyclist, other bicyclists annoy me. Is that is that how we start a movement? Is by denying what is good for ourselves so we can hate on others? I think definitely the hating on others is is key to taking over the world. You have to create enemies. And uh, and this show, unfortunately, when we chose it three years ago, was relevant. And it's just as, if not more so today. Relevant now. So now I want to take it a twist because uh, we're talking about this play that was written in 1941. Uh, in And it was written by Bertolt Brecht. Uh, Leaving, he had left Germany with fear in his heart, uh, and wrote this play. Um, not produced for you know years after that, and then now, oh, you know, 80, 80 years, eighty years later, we're still talking about it. But it's job site. So job site, you all do you take plays? Though I feel like you, it's important to you guys to find. Um, humor in the plays and find uh, ridiculousness in them. So I want to talk a little bit before we get really diving in, kind of about those the roles of humor and ridiculousness on stage and how it works for you guys as a as a tool to sort of insert things into people. 
Well, I mean, Brecht really intended f- for the play to be a vaudeville. He was very inspired by by Chaplin's films. It was, it's very much got a vaudeville style to it. Um, and because he did believe that that people should be entertained in the theater as well as think, and so what better way to get people think than by entertaining them? Mm-hmm. And also the entertaining, you know, we're we're, we're talking uh, very specifically when you say Brecht wrote this play in '41. Uh, there was the Reichstag fire, and he saw what was coming. They had already seized his house, you know, and so he was like, "I'm out of here." Um, and and so he 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 writes this. Play the satire, right? Just painting these people as ridiculous, but also painting all of these people as ridiculous because he holds everybody accountable for, um, you know, it, it's the idea of we get the leaders we deserve. Right. And, um, and they're fighting in this play, they're fighting over cauliflower. Yes. You know, like they're, so already you have this like insane battle over cauliflower. But people allow the cauliflower market to be, um, to turn into a kind of its own version of a battlefield. So it's not just one person. It's not just um, Arturo. No, and, and Arturo's a gangster. He shows up, and he's a thug, and everyone knows he is, and everyone knows who he is. He's washed up. He's not even a good thug anymore. Like, he's, <laughs> does this sound familiar at all? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, listeners. What do you right. think? <laughs> and, and so, uh, you know, but he, but he gets his foot in the door, and slowly but surely... You know, he occupies the door, and and people can't. But but all of these people along the way want something. All of these people need something, or or are complicit in some other way that they allow this to happen. I guess, um, and we're going to dive into the play, but we are going to talk politics for a minute. Um, I feel that people want people are attracted by sparkly power. They're attracted by people who. Um, don't have guardrails. And while they might think, well, I would never do that, you know, I would never call white nationalists good people, you know, but, um, but I am, I would support someone that calls, you know, I'm not saying that I would, but there's a thought like I, but still I would support someone that calls white nationalists good people because they do other things that I like. So, you know, so it sounded like this play is also about what you're talking about, the complicity of others and how kind of how ridiculous that complicity is as well. Ridiculous, not in making it seem trivial, like not the trivial ridiculousness, the deep, sad ridiculousness of it. Um, was it something when you guys started rehearsing and, and you were talking about it and, and going through the whole thing of, you know, I mean, Jobsite has always, ma- I mean, everybody does, but Jobsite is, in my mind, very well known for sort of um, having this, uh, the set and the music and the, and the designs all, you know, the, it all is of a piece, you know, that there's um, such an interaction between all of the facets of what you do. How was that? How, how were those discussions about how you wanted to show this sort of vaudevillian gangster Chicago cauliflower wars? I mean, like there's so much there, you know. Well, we're really good about pulling together a team that you know embraces Gestump Kunstwerk, that total <laughs> work of art. Um, and between our set designer, Brian Small here, uh, Joe Avril Snell, the lighting designer, Jeremy Douglas, mm-hmm. the composer for the show, who once again just shows how brilliant he is. <laughs> 
you know, David always approaches it and explains the type of piece it is. And this is a very actor-driven piece. Every actor plays multiple roles. Um, and so it's got to be fluid. It's got to be a fluid space. Um, but really trying to what can we tell story-wise visually auditorially mm -hmm. so um uh, i also happen to design the costumes for the show and they are very like the gangsters are very gangster <laughs> um and and the costumes are indicative of status so like the rich people there's top hats and you know fancy gold watches and things like that um indicative of status of who they are um but it's all kind of got a dark shadowy very Brechtian look to it. So is it, uh, you mentioned, is is it a vaudevillian show? Is it not quite, like, what what sort of feel were you going for with the energy of it? Because that's when I want to bring Colleen in, because Colleen brings a lot of energy to a stage. I'll actually yeah. let, let her Let's just feel that to the from, from well, Jump, because, like, she can talk about the vaudeville stuff. All right, Colleen, go. Yeah, so there is that kind of um, blast. Uh, lots of this kind of comedy bits where it's just like, bang, 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 we are hitting you with jokes and punchlines and all of this with very serious material, right? We're talking about corruption and murder and authoritarianism, but somehow making that funny. And from scene to scene, the audience might get a little whiplash because we have this kind of like three-ring circus court scene and then all of a sudden this very real moment where an actor comes out and she is pleading for help and pointing to the audience saying, you're all letting him get away with this. And it's very real. Um, so it's, we have that heightened vaudeville comedy, and then all of a sudden, bang, this is what we are talking about. Are you paying attention? Mm. What are you going to do? Mm. Are you listening? Um, and that's, that's kind of the Brechtian style. He believed that people were really listening and learning when they're laughing. Well, um, and then as, as performers, you know, and David as, as directing, how do you... I mean, the, the thing that has always astonished me, and, and you can tell that I'm not an, an actor, uh, has astonished me that you have to be so in the moment and not know what the future is, sort of. In, like, the characters can't know what the ending of the show is. They don't know. Well, the character doesn't know the ending, but the actors do. So Exactly. <laughs> so there's this whole kind of meta layer to it. Like, we come out right from the beginning with a prologue saying, this is a play. We are actors. This is what this play is about, letting the audience know. And then we put on a hat and all of a sudden we're these characters representing these these uh, kind of archetypes and we're commenting on them. You know, we are these characters saying terrible things and we as the actors are kind of winking to the audience like, yep, they're saying some effed up stuff. Mm. You know, so but this is what happens. These are conversations that really happen and are going on in the world right now. And I think um, that so an easy... An, an easy way for people to understand that when you say all that and you're like, that sounds wild. <laughs> um, but, you know, like I, 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 when, when I teach this in, in, at USF, I always talk, when I talk about satire, I talk about the old Stephen Colbert show, like when he came on after Jon Stewart. When he was the conservative right. Stephen Colbert. And, and he, would, he, would, he would be commenting on like real news, like things in the press, like that day, very serious things in a horrible fashion, but with this smile on his face that we all all knew he didn't mean those things mm -hmm. and that he was making fun of people who think that way, right? And and so we get it. Like the audience is in on it. Mm -hmm. Stephen Colbert, the actor, is in on it, but it's coming through the mouthpiece mouthpiece mouthpiece, mouthpiece of this fool 
who is not in on the joke. And that's where satire is really able to to, to do its magic mm-hmm. because, because via the actor letting the audience know, hey, I'm on your side too, but I'm doing this bit. Right. It allows both of us to be to be able to laugh. Like then we're able to laugh at these these very serious things. So, I was going to say, and you have, I mean, you have, again, going back that this play is 80 years old. It was, I think, inspired, you know, you mentioned before uh, Charlie Chaplin did The Great Dictator, you know, and there was, people were like doing it. So 80 years later, there's a show that is uh, not just not just applicable to our current political situation, but the structure of the show is extremely a- applicable to the current entertainment situation where the idea of breaking that fourth wall mm-hmm. and having all these different things is really common in television yeah. and movies and stuff like that. So so that to me is also, and I know this is a little bit of a, a sideways thing, but how fresh, like a, a play like this that you could be very easily dated, like it's 80 years old, is is still, you know, kind of, kind of there, right? Like it, it stands up for these other, other shows. Well, and I think, you know, plays like this, and especially playwrights like Bertolt Brecht, and I'll also say William Shakespeare, the amount of parallels we've been able to draw between Brecht and Shakespeare is phenomenal. But um, that kind of direct engagement of the audience, where that is the intent, is you're going to grab them, you're going to take them with you, and they are part of... The give and take, and it's written in the structure that way. Um, audiences had decades of, you know, peering into people's lives where they were, you know, that fourth wall was very, very strict. Um, and so you were kind of a voyeur. But I think we're coming around again, and, you know, theater and art and everything comes in cycles. But our audiences really want to be engaged. They want to be a part of it. Um, and, and Brecht demands that. You cannot be a passive audience member and watch this. Um, if you do, you're, you must be doing something completely wrong. Or you're missing the, you're missing the fun. Yeah. I mean, because it's a different theatrical experience when you are, you know, I mean, I, right. went, I went to see the band's visit mm-hmm. on Wednesday night. Fantastic show. Just really, really enjoyed it. And um, and because there's singing in it, uh, singing a lot of times always seems to me to sort of open the door and let, lets me in as an audience, even though I may not have that interacting because it's music and it hits mm-hmm. in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, but here you have a show that is sort of demanding that the, that people participate in, in their way and it changes the way a play is remembered, is feels at the time, you know, it changes, I mean, it changes so much. Though it seems like it's a possibly more difficult to do for people who are on the stage and directing it to, um, to add this other, you know, not just have the energy of the audience, but having that, in the relationship with the audience. I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a, again, I'm not an actor and I'm not a director, but it just seems like, wow, this sort of, this is just another, another step higher. I think, and I, you know, honestly, it's probably what you're used to. Like I'm, I'm, I'm so used to this kind of work and I have a, like a educational background in it. right? Right. Um, and, and so I think that, that if, if you are a performer who is very much of the mind of my job is to walk in and inhabit this one human and bring truth 
and just know my story from beginning <laughs> to end. Were, one time I right. wish I had a video for how you if, were if, acting that and out. I'm not, making, I'm, I'm, I'm not making fun of anyone. Like, I'm not making fun of that kind right. of process. But <laughs> if you are that kind of performer, that, that that's your wheelhouse, and then you're asked to step into a play like this, it it, it, it is it is like getting hit in the head with a frying pan. Right, yeah, it's shocking. I, I know that. <laughs> I, I'm well aware of that, right? And I think it can be terrifying um, because you don't... Ha- you can predict how your fellow castmates are going to perform on stage, but you have no idea if that audience is going to look at you like, yeah, sure, I'm with you, or look at you angry looks on their faces like, how dare you, or worse, the apathetic bored, oh my God, mm-hmm. is this over? I'd rather them be mad. Yeah. Right. But um, as a performer, it's the best because we don't do this, hopefully, nobody is an actor for themselves. We need that audience. That's what theater, right. it, you know, yeah, performer, a, a book has to be read by someone to be a book. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's, you know, to be able to just make them a part of it and um, and to constantly check in with them. And that may inform how you move forward. Oh, I've got them. Great. Let's keep going. Or, ooh, they're not quite with me yet, maybe let me gear down just a little bit, pick them back up and move on. So it's it's gratifying, but it is terrifying. <laughs> well, Colleen, I want to um, ask you, you pay, uh, you play, you pay, you play a couple of people in the show. Do you not? You play, um, I play uh, like seven or eight characters. You play a fish. <laughs> <laughs> well, his name is Fish. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was all in having you play a fish. <laughs> So, how will you talk a little bit about that? Because that's like yet additional layers to the whole experience, where you have this sort of very you have a older play with a very timely sort of subject matter it's examining. There is a awareness of the audience, but then there also has to be at some point an obliviousness to the audience. And then you've got uh, seven different characters that you're playing. So, how's that going? Oh man, it it is so much fun it is also it's, it's a challenge um because like david said we can't have that actory process of i'm having this rich inner life of my character you know because you have to you go from one scene and snap put on a different hat put on a pair of glasses and you are someone completely different um and showing it in your body and your voice that you are this completely different character and you're representing another pillar of society that's letting this guy get away <coughs> with murder and corruption and authoritarianism. Um, so it is, it's thrilling as an actor to get to kind of have that exercise of snapping into it um, in, a, in a, the blink of an eye. Sometimes in the middle of a scene, someone changes into a different character. Um, because there's what always 35? having that awareness of hey I am the actor playing yeah. this and winking to the yes. audience and getting them in on it as well and making them characters mm-hmm. play. right and I love that, that that Breck does this in the middle of this play he he literally drops an actor that doesn't have a name they're called the actor <laughs> and the actor shows up to teach Ui how to speak in public and how to walk and how to do all these things which actually there may have, or may not have been this guy named Adolf Hitler who actually hired an actor mm-hmm. to come help him. Uh, work crowds, right? Mm-hmm. But the actor um, is is in the dead, dead middle of this play is basically making fun of like every actor trope, every theater trope, <laughs> making fun of Ibsen, who like Brecht at the time really had a problem with, but everybody loved Ibsen. Right. So he's getting these Ibsen jokes in there, you know. Um, Shakespeare <laughs> so jokes. It, it is. It's, it's so insider baseball, but it's, it's 
funny. Um, and and just on that though, like because both of them have talked about this idea of like representing or who these people represent, and and that's just to go back to one more thing about the play is that it's a parable that that no one in in this play are are real people. They're stand-ins for the CEOs, for the bankers, for. Uh, the military for the government, you know, and and so since everyone is a stand-in, they represent, you know, then then we, we are afforded great uh, latitude in being able to show these like sort of archetypes, almost like stereotypes mm-hmm. of like, you know, oh, this is the 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 stuffy banker trope, or you know, this right. is the CEO trope, and and it also again allows the audience to be able to digest what is being said a little mm-hmm. better. Right. And they, um, you know, I mean, thinking about it, just the before Art in Your Ear today, there was uh, an alternative radio, there was a speech, and it was talking, one part that I caught was it was talking about how there's this evasion of responsibility. You know, if someone, uh, they were talking about a, a fast food franchise and the workers want something changed and the franchise owner is like, oh, well, that's corporate not me and corporate says, oh mm-hmm. no, that's your that's your boss, not not us, you know. And so there's just this sort of evasion. And in this play, there's sort of like the the attraction uh, to power because power doesn't evade. Power is like, yeah, whatever, I don't care. You know, I mean, there's a lot of ways, but power is not evading mm-hmm. things, and that's attractive to people. They may not want to, they may want to evade, but they they're attracted to those. That aren't. Dear listeners, we're speaking with some of the people from uh, Job Sites uh, show that uh, kind of just opened. It's called The Resist... The the resistible rise, rise of Arturo Ui. <laughs> I have it all in front of me, but for it's some a reason, yeah. it is. At least we're not doing it with a German title. That would be even worse. What is that? Can I don't. I can't even. <laughs> it's so long. Der um, So, uh, and and resistible rise is like such an important phrase in this because uh, it is a little bit of a warning. It's like this is there's a you have options here that we as citizens and we as pe- we as people have options. But I want to go back to a to a play thing that um, Colleen said, and I want to ask you, Katrina, as the costume designer, how does it work when you have to have people switch switch characters, switch uh, switch roles, switch that as she said, sometimes on stage switch. Mm-hmm. So so when you are in the process of designing for that, like what are some of the things that you are like, you know, to make it easy for the audience and understandable. How does that influence what you're trying to do as a designer? One, I try to make it easy. Uh, I just always assume with a piece like this that David is going to want those characters to change in you know the blink of an eye. So I always go for ease. <laughs> right. A um, faster than that, please. Oh, yes, actually. <laughs> yeah, we try. Do not blink both eyes. All right. <laughs> but I look for pieces, colors, shapes that are going to leave no doubt in the audience's mind of who this person is. Um, the character of Sheet, who is, you know, banker businessman. He's got a little baby top hat, you know, a little buttoned-up tight vest. Um, then you've got the character of Fish, since we're talking about Colleen, and Fish is, you know, a poor, you know, indigent, homeless person. And he's got the little watch cap and a, you know, ratty old raincoat. Things that go on fast. Mm-hmm. Um, that will also hopefully help the actor and um, the character that they've created. I love, as a costume designer, also being in the show because I get to see the actors starting to shape 
what they're doing. So I try to also find things that are going to make that better. So if they're slouchy and big, you know, I want something that's going to emphasize that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if they're light and fluttery, again, a little something um, to help kind of emphasize that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have fun when it's for yourself? Do you experiment more if it's your own costume or how does of that Of course. <laughs> Of course. Um, Also, you know, like one of the characters I play, one of the gangsters, uh, is known for being a bit of a a flashy clown. So, you know, I'm like, okay, some high-waisted pinstripe, but the pinstripe's kind of purpley. You know, fabulous shoes. Um, So, yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, but I try to do that for everyone. Right. You know, I try to make what they're doing come alive. Right. But I think, I mean, I was just thinking, because I've seen you in enough shows where I'm like, oh, she she had fun. She had fun. So so going back to the show, I know I'm, oops, my computer just went crazy. Sorry. Um, Going back to the show. So here we have this sort of... um, mixture of all these different things going on on stage. So you've had the previews. Have you, you haven't had the previews yet? When? No, next week. Okay, so people have, you know, so has anybody been in there to see it? Is it still like in the Just closed me. thing? <laughs> um, that's kind of exciting. <laughs> so when you're so when you're looking at it and doing it, is your, like as the director, your thoughts like, oh, we got to do bigger, this needs to be more, or do you have sort of like, oh, this is a lot, I need to. I mean, because job site, I think, doesn't, in my view, which could be completely wrong, that job site never seems to have a ceiling. Like, there's a way to always, like, if it can go a little bit bigger or be a little bit more, you're like, yeah, why not? Let's try it, you know, so like that. Yeah, so. I've, never, I've never even actually found the 11 button on my <laughs> volume. I don't know, I've, I've never actually made it to 11 yet, I don't think. <laughs> so there's a No, I, I'm, I'm, right now, I'm totally pushing everybody to go bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and, and, you know that also means when when you're going to extremes, that means going to all the extremes, right? Mm-hmm. And there are a few monologues in this play that are actually done in incredibly straight, that are done in in, in what we would call realistically, right? Mm-hmm. Where whereas Colleen talked about this sort of whiplash effect that we're doing, you know, we go from like high vaudeville, like we're literally you can't believe the actors are even talking that fast getting through the scene. It's just mm-hmm. absurd, you know. And then this realistic monologue from Andresia Mosley who comes out and starts begging the audience to help her because her husband's just been shot and no one is helping her. Mm-hmm. And and directly looking in the audience members' eyes, right? And so the extreme of that, like I'm mm-hmm. telling Andresia, you know, and when, when when we spoke about this last week, she was like, oh, you want me to go there? I was like, yeah, go there. Mm-hmm. Like, go there. Um, you know, and... and uh, Hugh Timoney has this monologue, his old Dogsboro, where he's basically he's he's dictating his will, but it's really a confession mm-hmm. that he he knows what he did, and and he was the person that kind of got. Uh, Arturo in power, right? right? Yeah. yeah, and everybody in the show is also based on a real historical character. Right. So, Dogsboro is based on Chancellor Hindenburg, right? Right, yeah. uh, and Hindenburg, right? Right. Okay. Uh, Arturo Ui is based on Adolf Hitler. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Giuseppe Giavola is Hermann Goering. Um, right. Geary is Goebbels. You know, the, these are all real people that that are being commented on. Mm-hmm. You know, but they're also not because Artuo Ui is not. Artuo Ui is people who exist right now. Right. Arturo well, that's what I was going to say. There's, you know, I mean, over this past week on 
uh, you know, on Twitter, people have been upset because what's his name, Esper, in his uh, thing, talked about stuff that uh, the former president wanted to bomb Mexico and and shoot be a, protesters, you know, Black Lives Matter protesters, but never said anything at the time mm-hmm. because it wasn't con- it didn't work out for what they wanted and what they needed right. at the yeah. time. Right. So now, like, well, let me cash in on the stuff that I didn't say before. Like, let me let me continue to want you know, what's best for me and not what's best for the country or other people. Right. You know, and that's why it doesn't matter in a way what their names are because that type of person is there. And honestly, I feel like that type of person used to be at least publicly looked down on and now that's not even the case, you know, so this can help with that. You know, like as I dig into this, this play more and more, you know, even though knowing that that Brecht wrote it under the circumstances he he did in the time he did, even knowing that he points back to like Richard the Third, and 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 so Artua Ui is also Richard the Third. They make all these direct Richard the Third comparisons. He's basically referenced as Richard the Third in the very beginning of the play, which is also Brecht saying Adolf Hitler at the time he wrote the play is like Richard the Third, and so right. you get really meta at this point because now we're so far in the future. <laughs> but but when he wrote the play, it was current. Current news, right? And then again, like so, so referring back to Richard the Third and also uh, Roman times and things like that. Mm-hmm. So Brecht is, was drawing a line backwards, saying, "Look, th- these people have existed like this, mm-hmm. and why do we keep letting them come into power?" Right. And then here we are, eighty-one years later, looking backward in a current moment, you know, because because right-wing authoritarian regimes tend to pop up around the world in waves, mm-hmm. right? And and yes, I had one really specific person I was thinking about when when we wanted to do this a few years ago but now I'm, I'm looking at Orban in Hungary and I'm looking at Vladimir Putin still you know mm-hmm. and I'm looking at what's happening in Ukraine and right, I'm looking, Brazil right Brazil mm-hmm. and Tanzania and and almost France with Marine Le Pen just mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago and I'm like good God like you know, um, not that I wanted to have my finger on any kind of pulse to, to that sort of degree, but I'm looking at our own state and I, I'm looking right. at, mm-hmm. at, at the governor <laughs> in our own state and I'm looking at where that might be going after me. But, you know, there's, there's, there's a line in the play, you know, mm-hmm. basically like today, Cicero, tomorrow, the world, right? Mm-hmm. And there are all these lines in the play that I'm like, oh my God, can you just stop with it? Because people are saying this. And I, I really do think that people are going to come see the show and go, oh, you changed that line to be like, uh-huh. no. There's actually two words. There's a two-word phrase I put into the show that was not written into the show. Yeah. Two, a two-word phrase, and that's it. And and everything else. Should we ask? Fake news. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's it. And everything yeah. else was written 81 years mm-hmm. ago. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, um, we're almost out of time. I do, uh, I just kind of want to, I have a directing question for you, David, because I'm talking about, you know, pushing, like not finding the 11 and and pushing people, stuff like that. As a director, you know, is that, um, is that different for each show? Do you have to sort of find, um, do you start off knowing where you want people to be? 
by the time it, like the ending, or does that happen over the course of the show as you see, as everybody grows more familiar and comfortable with the script, even including you, even though you might have read it 15 times and now other people are saying the words. How does that process move forward? Uh, is it different for each show or, or is that process sort of the same for each show? It, it is different for each show, but it's within ratios because you can't walk into a production and not know where you wanted to go. Like, mm-hmm. that's bad. That's right. going to be really bad. I would think that would be problematic. Um, <laughs> I, I, I feel like, like uh, and, and I feel like this process is evolutionary as a director. The longer you work, maybe you tighten up or you loosen up or, and maybe from show to show you do things different. I feel like, like I used to be a director who had far more strict ideas of exactly the way I wanted everything to look and exactly how it was going to happen. And, and then I spent a whole lot of time fighting with actors, <laughs> right? And now I've realized, look, why am I hiring all these people to do these things? Why am I hiring somebody for a role if I don't want their sensibility as part of it? So now there is an outline. There is definitely a very... There's a lot of people that need to learn that a lesson. Very That's a good lesson. Outline, right. A very strong outline. Right. Of course, like a, 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 I wouldn't call it a vision. Maybe it's a, 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 a daydream, right? <laughs> but then you get the real bodies in there and you begin working and you, you see not only what they are doing as individuals, but what they are creating collectively. And then when you look at that and go, oh, this is kind of what they're making and this is kind of what I wanted to make. And now how can we mm-hmm. how can we get your peanut butter and my chocolate? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. then that's two great tastes that taste right. great together, right? <laughs> of course. Now I'm hungry. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, and that makes sense. And, and watching, I mean, that's one of the things, again, that um, living in an area that has strong theater companies and watching, because each actors move and and all sorts of creative personnel move between theater companies, but basically kind of stay with it. And having watched um, Job Site and watching Katrina, you know, with um, her directing ability, her act performing and acting ability, but also design ability change over the years and, and I think grow much, much, like much more confident over the years and watching Colleen change from being, you know, I'm here to sort of add... Um, um, add sparkle to bringing everything on stage. Not Colleen, you do so much more than sparkle, <laughs> but you know, just to bring everything because uh, you know to bring gravitas also that the same sparkle can also have gravitas. You know, and, and to see that, um, I think is one of the delights of doing art in your ear uh, is to be able to like go to a show and think about it. And I'm super excited about seeing this show. <laughs> so uh, let's give the deets out for people, and then I'll find out what's going on next. It opens. On uh, next Wednesday is previews? Yeah, May 11th is our first preview. May 13th is officially opening night. Dun, 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 dun. And then it runs through June 5th. Um, it is So we've got our previews. And then it is at the Schimberg Playhouse at the Straz Performing Arts Center. Uh, and I'm trying to think, is there tickets are up? Um, it's good. Uh, and this is posted on our Facebook page, dear listeners. Uh, there's a bunch of videos. That's something I really like that you guys do, is have different videos and sort of blog posts and, and thoughts about uh, doing a show. So whenever we say, yes, come on the show, it's always fun to go in and read what everybody's written before reading like what the world has written about it uh, to sort of understand where it is. But this show, this show sounds really awesome. Can you just, I, I just wonder too, um, obviously the, do you have another show after this one? 
One last show left in the season, yeah. Right. Animals out of paper in oh, July right. and August. Right. And then a new season starts. So um, so is it, will you just talk for a minute, because this is my own ignorance. I've never bought season tickets for something because my job is to, I'd have to buy season tickets for everybody. So season tickets, people can get season tickets for job site for next season and then sort of just see, and then you always have that. Do people, is it like they have to sit in the same seats or always go nope. on the same night or anything? Nope. nope. Okay. Because someone asked me about that. Nope. Honestly, we, look, we know we know it's hard enough to get people to sign up for a season ticket. Period. So we try to not make it difficult for anybody. When when folks buy a season ticket, they do buy into like a night, like they're gonna get Friday night season tickets or Saturday night season right. tickets or Sunday night season tickets. However, once they get the season ticket, we we have unlimited free exchanges. You like you could call back, and we I have people that apologize over and over because they move their tickets like ten times in one run, and I'm like, <laughs> I don't care. Right, just like, come see the show. <laughs> I don't care when you come see the show. So, and, and we found that a lot of people like it because of the accountability. Like they have a ticket mm-hmm. to our shows run for at least a month. Right. right, like so. Odds are good that you're probably gonna have a night in that month mm-hmm. that you can go see the show. My parents would always get season tickets for the um, one of the theaters. I grew up in New York City, and one of the theaters, one of the smaller theaters, but they always had tickets because they, those people always patronized my dad's restaurants. So mm-hmm. he's like, I'm gonna buy tickets, you know, season tickets, and it was really fun because it was their way of. Um, you know what? We're going to go out together and just be right. be who we were before we had all you bratty kids. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I just so we try to, again. We yeah. just try to make the season tickets as easy as possible. So okay. Sorry. Well, I just um, last time you were on after you left, someone had written that question. So um, so Jacob, there's the answer to your question. So uh, so next is say that name of the show. Animals again? out of paper. It's a play about origami and. St- Oh. Animals out of paper. That sounds wonderful. It's um, not a play about origami, but right. that's the central subject. Right, that yeah. It kind of brings everybody it's together. Job site. Whatever it it's about, it's about many other things also, which is the whole point of going to the theater is that whatever the story is, then there's another, all these other layers. Um, and then Colleen, Katrina, anything else that you want to mention coming up? Uh, Colleen probably has more. <laughs> more. Okay, Colleen, do you have anything that you want to talk about? Yeah, so um, earlier this year, I started an improv company um, Sunshine City Improv Theater, um, and we have shows the last Saturday of every month at Greenlight Cinema in downtown St. Pete. Um, Go check that out. Go see them. Go see their movies and things, because it's an amazing Mm -hmm. uh, movie theater that opens during COVID, Um, but we became their first live event, so we're there with rotating improv teams, indie, indie improv teams every last Saturday of the month at nine o'clock. So you can look at their website or our website, sunshinecityimprovtheater.com. Awesome. Um, so got that uh, as an ongoing thing. We'll be offering classes and workshops later on in the year. Um, and I think I can say this because I just accepted the contract. Um, I will be in the regional premiere of Exhibit in the Zoo at Think Tank uh, TYA Playfest this summer. So nice. Theatrics Theater in August. That's wonderful. Very much looking forward to that. I was part of the play reading last year for it, so excited to do the fully produced version. Sweet. Yeah. Good news. Um, it's, uh, you know, it was really scary for, I mean, way less scary for me than all you people are actually working mm-hmm. in theaters, but it was frightening as an audience member to see what was going to happen uh, with the theaters and what has happened as people have come back. So, um, not 
uh, in not my fear was that there was going to be sort of like this pandering in a way, you know, that we're going to just try to make it easy so people will walk in, and instead theaters have been like, no, we're going to we're going to get even purer and hit what the whole reason that people go to theater, like the real true reason that people go to theater, not to be mindlessly mm -hmm. entertained, but to really go to theater and be transformed. And, you know, whether it's to the band's visit or to uh, Arturo Ui, um, you know, whatever it's like, you get transformed by good theater. You're not the same person when you leave that you were when you walked in there. And it's just a delight. And I'm really excited and really um, thrilled about this. Um, so my guests have been Colleen Cherry on the phone. Thank you so much. Katrina Stevenson and David Jenkins of The Resistible Rise of Arturo Yui opening up uh, with previews next Wednesday and Thursday night and having its big whoosh on Friday night. Thank you guys so much for coming in. Thank you for having thank us. You. Yeah, I thank think, you. Thank you. Um, let's see. I've got, oh, here. Let's, play, let's put on some Painted Black by, oops, somebody else is listening to my um, to my music. So let's listen to most appropriately a little Fats Waller.
right. Um, I want to mention a couple of things, at least one thing going on around town before we have to move on over to the fabulous uh, E Loves show um, playing and by written by Holland. Taylor featuring the amazing Bonnie Egan, directed by the extremely talented Lisa Tricomi, is at uh, at Studio at 620 this weekend. Ann Richards was the governor of Texas, was a amazing, powerful, funny, smart woman. And this is a one-woman show looks at that. The show is up tonight and tomorrow night at 8 p.m. and then Sunday at 2 p.m. You can go online to studio at 620.org for more information on that. Um, thank you so much for listening. I want to make sure, oh, I got to get this out because I want you to know that we have a fantastic show coming up. Let's listen to that. The thrill is anything but gone. The Suncoast Blues Society will celebrate their 25th anniversary this year, and WMNF is joining in the fun. On Friday, May 20th, WMNF and the Suncoast Blues Society team up to bring the Jimmies to Skipper Smokehouse for this milestone event. For tickets, go to WMNF.org. We are going to get out of here. There's music from E-Love next after the NPR News. Following the NPR News, of course, is the live music showcase. And I think they've got a kind of a party band on there today. It sounds like it's going to be a really fun rock and roll show. Following live music showcase at 3 p.m. is the Rhythm Revival. That is a show that dives into uh, the roots of rock and roll and kind of whatever strikes Reverend Billy and Marvelous Mars mood. It's always an entertaining show. Uh, Two men that are extremely knowledgeable about the history of music and very rarely do you ever know what you're going to hear next on that show. At 6 o'clock, we have the Soul Party, classic R&B and soul, followed by the wonderful smorgasbord that is the Soul Kitchen. That show uh, brings you hip-hop, R&B, soul, rock, uh, jazz, country, really just about anything that has a good rhythm to it. It is a delight uh, with Chef Eddie G and his assistant, Sue Chef. David, and then we end our nights here on Fridays with Flashback Friday with Chuck Cord Jr., and that is Florida R&B in Florida and Soul. It's kind of a body fun Friday night show. Thank you so much for being part of Art in Your Ear today. We'll be back next week. Stay tuned. And uh, NPR News is coming up. Don't go anywhere. Bye. Thank you. This is WMNF Tampa. Say hi to Mark. It's nice to hear from you.